0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the In Real Deep podcast. I'm your host, Steve Simino, senior writer at InRealDeep.com, and with me today is another special guest. And like I said, Andrew can't go to movies these days, so rather than Andrew, I'm bringing a cadre of my buddies on to talk about hot movies. And we're very proud to have a first time guest here. It's Chris Foran, a doctor and a fan of passion and love and friendship. And easier to talk about, a star is born. Hey, Chris. Hey there, Steve. Couldn't have said it better myself. One might say that I'm a virgin to
1: podcasting. (laughs) One might. I wouldn't call you that, but people could if they wanted to. Well, and, you know, to burnish my resume on films, uh,
0: I'm your friend, and that's why I'm on this podcast. (laughs) This movie is not about friendship, unfortunately, but friendship will be very strong and prevalent on the podcast itself. So that's our contribution to the world of friendship. Is you and I being here to do this? I think friendship is the most important part of the podcast. (laughs) It's not a one-person show, so I agree with that. You always got to have two. Absolutely. (laughs) So we're here to talk A Star is Born. Chris and I actually just saw this movie for the second time because we really wanted to have a good sense of what we're talking about and how to really address it and uh, and approach it because I know you and I both really liked it the first time around and I think liked it just as much the second time around, which is pretty wild. I don't normally go to movies twice in a week, but... You know, we were talking before this, and this movie has struck a chord with a lot of people. And I think for me, it's just, it was as powerful and emotional and well done as it was the first time I saw it. And I agree with that. I think,
1: uh, as we were discussing earlier, for those of us who are not professionally trained in some form of art, we really only have two measures by which we can judge art. And I think one of those measures is, does it evoke emotion? And the second measure is, does it evoke thought? And, you know... For those who don't have uh, formal training in any field of artwork, that's really you. That's really the weapons you have to to judge a piece of art. And I can say unequivocally that this movie did both for me. Definitely evoked a ton of emotion and has made, as we've been discussing the
0: last couple of days, has made me think a lot. So let's get into it logistically, though. I thought this was the first time I saw it, and I agree with everything you just said, but. I think the first hour of the movie, and I wrote this in my review on InRealDeep.com, the first hour is about as perfect as an hour gets. I think it just – the the real big great part of it is when Lady Gaga – playing Allie, gets on stage and belts out her tune for the first time in front of a crowd. Both times I saw it, I cried, but just couldn't help it. Just so much emotion, so well shot, so perfect. So that's really like the apex of the beginning, and I think the first hour in general is is wonderful. I think afterwards, it lulls a little bit. I think it slows down, maybe on purpose, but either way, I just don't, I just, it, it can't reach those heights again, and it can't, the whole movie can't be heights so I get it, but I still think it sort of ties itself to a, a bit too 2018, a bit too modern at that point. Where before I thought it was timeless, but then the end I thought it just absolutely is fantastic. More emotion, both sad and happy, and just you know really takes it home. So uh, as I wrote in my review, that's that's not a bad thing necessarily. It's not it's not so much a criticism; it is just the reality of the movie. I wish I it can't it can't do what it does in the first hour over and over again. But I still can you know it's I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it perfect. But I would, I think elements of it are approach perfection, and overall any, any sort of downsides are outweighed by the amazing upsides.
1: I completely agree with your, your assessment of the first hour. Uh, I also cried both times I saw <laughs> Ali uh, come out and sing for the first time. Uh, however, I do, I do disagree with you in the middle part. I think it had to be a lull. I think it couldn't be the sustained intensity until the end. Uh, something I think we're going to talk a little more about is the honesty that we both found in this movie from start to finish. And I think had this been uh, you know, a 10 out of a 10 intensity from start to finish, it wouldn't have felt honest. I think his, his devolving into what he eventually becomes has to be piece by piece, step by step. Had it been this one big blow-up, this one abusive moment, uh, something that we're crying the entire time, I don't think that would have been honest to what that likely would look like in real life. Um, I think it had to be this death by a thousand cuts um, as best you can do in a two-hour movie. Uh, So I, I really had no problem with the middle part of this slowing down a bit and not taking us to the heights of the first hour. That being said... That first hour was just a, a rush. It was incredible, and I think, again, speaking about the honesty of the movie, any of us had we been in the position of Jackson or Allie, would have been, you know, caught up in the wave of the the energy of being on stage and the energy of a crowd. And so, you know, that was absolutely unequivocally the best part of the movie is the first hour. And you know, kudos to him as a first-time director for bringing us to that height. Uh, so quickly in his
0: first movie, him being Bradley Cooper, pronouns, pal. <laughs> Perdon. <laughs> no, but I, I like that you use the word "devolved," it, just because the the character Bradley Cooper plays in this movie, Jackson Maine, he he devolves for sure in the sense that he goes from you know a he ends up you know spoilers if you haven't seen the movie or you don't know the general story he ends up killing himself and but the way the movie goes about that is it's not a it's not a big blow-up, like you said. It's not a, you know, fight. It's not... It's it's, it's it's a real slow thing, and it's true to the characters, and I think it does a really great job of allowing both Bradley's... Call Bradley, him Bradley, like he's my friend. <laughs> the characters of Jackson and Allie, it allows them to, to really show their love and to really reinforce that, you know, they have flaws and they are not perfect, and the movie doesn't sell them as such, but it allows them to... When he kills himself, it's because he just can't, you know, face the reality of the situation he's facing. He, this is, he can't face the reality of the world around him. The world he's created, what, you know, where Ali has become, where he is in life. But it doesn't feel abrupt. It doesn't feel it, – it, it's, it's a very – it's a sad, depressing choice that he makes but it, it's just not, it, it's not heavy handed. It doesn't hit you in the head. Like, it, it, it all is very honest and true to the way that movie has been, you know, consistent throughout. And I think that's a real testament to Cooper as a director, as a writer, as, as just, you know, the key to creative cog behind the movie is that. He presents these broken characters in a way that still makes them very redeeming, but their brokenness and the dynamic between them is, is right under the surface. Like you can, you can watch this movie on a very basic level and say, oh, they were in love, and, but then fame and everything overwhelmed them, and now he killed himself. But you can also look at it and say, these are two people who come from very unfortunate places and they've been through a lot and and the flaws and cracks within them show constantly in their relationship and it's sort of inevitable what happens and there's a lot more sadness to it and the way they interact with each other, though sweet, is is very broken and off in a lot of ways. And I really love that he made a movie where all of that is true, where, where the love is genuine and tender and real and seems very earned, but then at the same time, these are... Kind of fucked up people, and if you really talk about it and think about it, and you're the kind of person who likes to break it down, it's very apparent that these, you know, that those cracks are very real in there.
1: Then I, I also you know, I'll use my analysis of, of Jackson as a character to lead into, you know, who they are as a couple. But if you're paying attention during the movie, that suicide is not a surprise. If anything, you know, it's something that we probably all felt foreboding. As he lays brick by brick, the story of you know Jackson Maine through small, slight, subtle moments in the story. You know, throughout the story, we find out obviously in the beginning he's a drunk. Okay, uh, we can acknowledge in today's world that um, people who are alcoholics aren't doing it for the fun of it. This is a sickness that he has, and. That setting the stage for future clues about his past, you know, he eventually admits while he's in rehab that he had tried suicide prior, that that suicide attempt was largely ignored uh, by the people closest to him. He had no mother. He had an absent, likely alcoholic father who died under mysterious circumstances. And he had a brother who was significantly older than him that had to assume the role of father that maybe was not adequately done the job of being a father, that is. And so, you know, I think the easy thing would have been to take the character of Jackson Maine and have him commit suicide at the end as this spectacular surprise, as a twist, so, so to speak. Uh, but after watching it the second time, it is absolutely not a twist. It is a, a destiny that he appeared to have uh, that became more apparent to me the second time I watched it as I paid a little bit more attention to the clues left throughout the uh, throughout the movie and this leads into you know him as a character uh, is very interesting I think it's easy to say that Bradley cooper the director tried to make Jackson maine the character a flattering one but I think that's wrong uh, I think there's a lot about Jackson maine that is not flattering Sure, he is gracious at times. He's a nice enough guy. He is uh, nice to the fans that come up to him. He's not a yeller or a screamer. But there is a, a undercurrent of selfishness from start to finish in Jackson Maine. Um, we'll get into a little bit more of that when we talk about their, their relationship. But Jackson Maine is a character that, since his childhood, um, doesn't appear to have anyone teach him uh, that, he is responsible for other people's happiness as well. He must be considerate. He, beca- he apparently becomes a star so young that he doesn't ever learn boundaries. Um, and he thinks those around him are simply there to prop him up, to make him what he wants to be, with very little consideration about what they want
0: to be. Yeah, I think that's very true. And I think that a lot credit goes to Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga for their performances, in, in making those characters so likable and so easy to get behind despite these flaws. And I think that, you know, it, it's a credit to the Cooper as a director and writer and to both those actors and, act- and actress and actresses for, for painting that picture of a Jackson Maine who is not, you know, who has these gaping holes in his personality, but yet we find it easy to, to excuse them or, or at least they're, they're, um, you can justify them away, and they don't. And, and though he is, uh, you know, uh, you know, does not his brother obviously played by Sam Elliott has a lot of issues with him, and the dynamic Lady Gaga is certainly toxic here and there. There's a there's a genuineness to him, or at least a earnestness to him that is really really nice, and that is and that and doesn't it doesn't feel. It doesn't feel like it's there for the sake of being there. It doesn't feel like they're they're trying too hard to make him likable so that it justifies his bad actions. It just comes naturally on the page. I think that's one of the things the movie does so well is that beyond the performances, is, is there's not a lot of talking. There's not a lot of there's very little over explaining. There's very they do a lot of showing not telling, which I think very few movies do these days, or or at least for the you know the last couple decades even. They, it's sparse in what it gives you. So it allows you as a viewer to sort of take it all in and just use context and and the way characters act and to, to either fill in their backstories with your own guesses or to fill in the gaps just in, you know, understanding how they get from A to B to C to D. Like, I think that's an amazing talent. And, and for a first-time director and writer like Bradley Cooper, that takes some real balls, because I think it's just the logical thing to do is to... Be really be over the top and be over explanatory and make sure your audience gets it. Or at the very least, have have your characters you know talk too much or, or say too many things or have a big blow up that everyone will remember where you can really ham it up and overact and, and have your Oscar moment. But instead, you know Cooper and Gaga who are going to get Oscar buzz for this for sure. The, their Oscar moments, their big moments, are relatively understated. Like Gaga has a lot of its singing moments which are going to be beloved, but they are what makes the characters so special is how they. Live in themselves and how they respond to things in a very natural and honest way, and I think that having the guts to do that as a as a filmmaker is is really impressive. I just don't think it's something a trait that not everybody has.
1: You know, there's there's something interesting about the way Bradley Cooper, the director, approached uh, you know Jackson Maine, the character. I think Bradley Cooper, the director, is very aware of how handsome, charming, and charismatic Bradley (laughs) Cooper, the actor, is. Uh, And I think he's trying to create a character that has to be beyond just handsome, charming, and charismatic. He's depicting somebody who is an addict. He's depicting somebody who is inherently selfish and who takes uh, actions during the movie that are uh, extraordinarily unflattering. And I think the easy way to have done that would have been using too much noise and bombast. Uh, it would have been easy for him to say, the way I'm going to defeat my inherent charisma and handsomeness and charm is he's going to be violent. He's going to be um, loudly, verbally abusive. He's going to you know, have a string of infidelity. Those are easy choices to make, to make this character um, more unlikable, more flawed. But he didn't, and this again speaks to the honesty of the story, and I think the honesty of the character. You know, addicts oftentimes, I'll play armchair psychiatrist here, uh, they are charming, they are charismatic, and part of that charm and charisma has a purpose to it, and it's to continue to obtain whatever it is they are addicted to, drugs, alcohol, and in his case, in addition to those, the human capital he requires to sustain him. whether it's his brother, um, the people that surround him that have propped him up despite his illness uh, throughout all these years. And so I think it was a very um, honest and a bit risky way for Bradley Cooper to go about making this character unlikable, was to make him uh, subtly charming but always with an ulterior motive. And those ulterior motives play out both in uh, nuanced and sometimes obvious ways. And while I'm on that subject, um, one of the things I found interesting, one of the small details that I picked up the second time watching it, you notice that he, his skin tone changes from when the very beginning when he's deep in his drunkenness uh, to later points in the movie where he stopped drinking or he's going to rehab. His skin is darker. It's got this kind of copper tone that you see sometimes with alcoholics. Uh, and again, it's just one of these subtleties that he chose. He didn't make him... A fat slob. He didn't make him somebody that, um, like Steve the Drunk
0: from, <laughs> from Deadwood, for example. Who may also be in this right, movie. <laughs>
1: exactly. Who may
0: also be in this movie. Uh,
1: those obvious and bombastic choices he didn't make. He chose a more subtle route to depict this man um, who is flawed and is sick. And that illness manifests itself
0: in his charisma, in his charm, um,
1: and must do so.
0: Yeah, I think it really... Feels like a movie that understands its characters so well. I feel like so many times, if you see something, it feels like it was like there was a blank template and they came up with a conflict and they came up with character A and they came up with character B and then they like mushed them all together in a way that you know does create a story but it doesn't feel like it was organic that they all were born of the same universe it feels like it was stitched together to some extent because someone decided that this character should be us or maybe the actor or actress wanted to play it a certain way and so it didn't all come together exactly right so i think one of the skills cooper shows in in being the the filmmaker and mastermind behind this whole thing is he understands exactly who this person is he understands how he would interact with Lady Gaga's character, like there's a great scene you and I were talking about when, when Allie reveals that she's going to basically break off in some ways and become a solo artist and rather than, you know, and, and, and Jackson is, is piss drunk, but rather than throw a fit or smash things or do some of the, like you said, more bombastic choices you would expect a character in those, in that, in that, uh, area to make, he, he like mushes a donut or bagel or whatever on her face like he's a child, like he's a little kid. Like that's the way he shows his disappointment and, 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 you know, just jealousy and unhappiness of the situation. And her character in response does not freak out and say, fuck you, you weirdo. What are you doing? She finds it attractive and sort of sexy even, and, and feels loved in a, in a perverse sort of way. And the movie does not present, it, it just presents that for what it is. It doesn't it doesn't call them out for being broken in that regard. It doesn't paint it as necessarily a negative or a positive. It just says these are who these people are, and they sort of have found each other, and you know, and they were probably, and maybe they're not ever going to be quote unquote you know full perfect happy people in some ways. But maybe this little brief thing they have here, even though it does lead to Jackson's death, like he's probably going to do something horrible anyway. Like maybe it's ultimately good that they had these couple great years, even though it was not entirely you know, what you'd hope for. It wasn't salvation for him. It wasn't, and it was, but it was, and it was beneficial to our career, but maybe it's just, maybe there's just two people finding each other at, at an inopportune time. Maybe there was never an opportune time, but they were able to share these moments that, that just happened to work for them. And I just think that's not a thing a lot of movies would do. They just, they would not know their characters well enough to put them in that place, in that situation, and have it, and have them interact in that way that is just so natural and perfect, and it just, I don't know, it just struck me as as very unique and unlike a lot of other, at least like big budget Hollywood movies, which like we, like everybody knows, go for the big hits, they don't necessarily have time for small sort of nuanced character moments like that, and I just thought it was a nice touch. Well, and make no mistake,
1: uh, though he does not do it with a lot of noise, uh, with a lot of physical violence, he does does things that are very cruel. What he says to her when he calls her ugly, um, he says it quietly. He says it calmly. But make no mistake, that is what he knows will be the most harmful thing he could possibly say to her. Um, she has in very clearly stated from the beginning of the movie that the biggest hang-up she has in her life, the biggest insecurity she has, is that she's ugly. She feels she's ugly. People have told her she's not pretty enough. And for anybody that loves another human being, those are things you would never say purely to, to not harm that person in the way that you know those things will harm them. And so, again, would it have been easier for him to break things, to throw glasses, to, to hit her? Um, yeah, I think those would have been easy choices in the film to depict him as selfish, sick, uh, with the ability to be cruel. But instead, he chose a more subtle route uh, to say that, yes, this man is capable of deep selfishness and deep cruelty. And even as we were discussing right after we saw this the second time, even his suicide, uh, when we hear Sam Elliott say, initially seeming very insensitive, that it was his fault. And that strikes you immediately as, well, that's a very insensitive, wrong thing to say about somebody who just committed suicide. But... His suicide has a healthy dose of vengeance in it. There is a vindictive quality to what he did. It's not all vindictive. It's not all for um, to harm Allie, but to do it in their home, to do it in a place where he knew she would find him, um, that in itself is, is a vindictive act, um, and so... I do, I do applaud Bradley Cooper, the director, for choosing that subtle route to make his character um, a very flawed and at times cruel and unflattering character.
0: Yeah, there's there's a there's a hint of really understanding, uh, a mo- or sort of not understanding maybe a modern look on suicide or a like more mature look on it, where it's not where it's clear that the. the The selfish act of killing oneself, though horrible what it is, has has ramifications that last for a lifetime on the people who have survived it and now must wonder what they could have maybe done to fix it or change it. And like you said, Sam Elliott is very blunt in saying we didn't make him do this. We We didn't pull the trigger. We didn't tie the noose. We didn't do any of that. We are living our lives like we can't spend our entire lives you know, catering to him. And that's, I think that's, you know, had Sam Elliott's character and Lady Gaga's character committed their life to keeping Jackson happy, he probably wouldn't have killed himself. But that's not a life they should have to live. Like, that's not a choice they should have to make. Like, they are their own humans and their lives have just as much value as his. So I appreciate that sort of touch. Like, and, but, and I also, what another thing I appreciate is, again, this movie, you can look, you can show up and just take it at surface level and be like, oh, I'm sad that he killed himself because he was Bradley Cooper and he was... A nice-ish man, and that sucks that he was sad. But you can also break it down like we're doing and, and realize the the flaws and, and that are right there. It's not like we're digging for them. It's not like we're pulling back layers to uncover what maybe Cooper and the other screenwriters and the filmmaker and you know, everyone was trying to do. It's right there, but it's it, but it's very, but it still has that. Hollywood shine to it still has that you know relatively like at the end you walk out and you're sad but you're also Lady Gaga sings a beautiful song and like you're like okay like there's hope and music is nice and art is good and maybe we'll all be okay but it's sort of insidious in a good way in what it sort of puts in its characters and the what it sort of layers just under the surface I think it's a great touch because it's one of those movies that my parents can see for example and enjoy on their own merits and I'm not saying they didn't you know break it down nuts and bolts a little bit, but they did not sit down and do a 45 minute podcast afterwards and talk about their thoughts, but you're able to do that. And it doesn't feel like we're digging. It doesn't feel like, like you and I don't, I don't, I don't feel like we're film nerds right now cutting open uh, a dense, you know, cinematic masterpiece. Like it's a good movie. And we're talking about it because it just, it manages to do both things at the same time, be big and, and fun and nice and make a lot of money and then have some depth to it. I just think that's, that's a rare combo. Well,
1: and the, one of the elements of the suicide is, that
0: it is one last chance for him to exert a form of
1: control over her. Uh, We see that when he sees that control slipping away uh, in the scene where they're on the couch and he says, thank you for making this a home for me now, he also invites her to Memphis. And because of very legitimate personal reasons, she has a career that she's trying to launch. She says, no, I can't do it. And very true to his character, he doesn't blow up in that moment he does what a child does when they feel they aren't getting enough attention. He goes to Memphis and he goes on a bender and he does something that makes her come out to him. And when she finally does that, he has the satisfaction of knowing, I still have some form of power here. I still have the ability to make her feel something for me. And I think we see that dynamic play out in a lot of relationships in our own lives that we see friends and family that are in unhealthy relationships it's this kind of unhealthy dynamic of if one partner does not feel loved enough, does not feel they're getting enough attention, they may do something negative to draw that attention out of the other partner. And so I think a part of that suicide, in keeping with his unhealthy view of the, the relationship, his unhealthy view of the changing power dynamic, and of his own selfishness, this was his last act to exert what he knew would be a devastating effect upon her.
0: Well, I will say, though, I I think part of his motivation for why he killed himself at the same time is shame, though. I think he has a little clarity at the end, and he sees that she is giving up on her European tour to be with him, and I think he realizes that he is the reason, like, that she's, you know, she is... So she is an enabler to the extent that she will literally throw away a, a chunk of her career or a lucrative opportunity because she knows this is what he needs at this point in time. And I think he realizes that he is, you know, maybe, maybe not that he's gone too far, but maybe that he is just he's a genuine detriment at this point. And he's told that by her manager. So that's that's a little on the nose. Like he obviously that's we get that as an audience. But I think he genuinely realizes to a certain extent that he is not good for her at that moment, and it's better to, that he has removes himself from the equation, and that's not. And that's, that, but that, that's and that's admitting his own failings, like that's that's take, you know taking an easy way cop out, and also. But I think and I think but I think you're right too. I think there is a final moment of knowing, like of of just being of being himself. Like maybe that's a better way to put it. Is he realizes maybe you know with the clarity that he has from being sober that I am who I am. This is the way, this I'm making these choices for this reason, and you know, this is not good. This is not helping. I'm, I'm going to go out the way I, you know, I, I know no other way to go out, but I do need to go out. You know.
1: Absolutely. And don't get me wrong. I think there's many spokes to the wheel of of that suicide and why he made that choice in the end. Um, I think a big chunk of it, though, is his growing knowledge of his obsolescence um, and her rise to a point where she actually doesn't quite need him anymore um, in the way that he, he liked her having to need him previously. Um, now, all that being said, there is also a very tragic side to his suicide that I think is appropriate and, and right to talk about, is that he's a sick person. He, is, he has an illness, and that illness extends beyond his, his substance abuse. He is somebody that is depressed. Probably has anxiety issues, um, and these are issues that stem from what is clued into us as deep childhood trauma, with an alcoholic father, um, the death of his mother before he ever knew her, um, and again, we mentioned earlier that he likely grew up so fast because of fame that he never had to learn how to deal with these these issues that he had. He had people enabling him in multiple ways, um, and he spent decades now hiding from these things that generated his depression, these things that generated his mental illness and, you know, overall. And so, there is an absolutely tragic part of this suicide that deserves attention as well. But with that said, um, I think part of the depth of this character is is served by recognizing that this action that he took, um, while on the surface, may seem like he did it for her. And I think that's what some people may leave the theater thinking, that this was a selfless act. Mm -hmm. My personal take on it is that the amount of it that was selfless is probably overshadowed by the amount that was more selfish in nature.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And suicide is the most selfish thing you can really do in that sense. You're deciding yourself that you're going to, like I said, cause cause people still alive pain for, and it doesn't make it any less sad that you like that you have to make that choice. That really is, that's horrible to make that choice, but there certainly is a huge element of that there. And I think, but the movie does sort of let you, you can take it and run with it either way, which I think is is good because it is, like you said, there's no – it shouldn't be black or white. It's not It's not an open and shut binary type thing. Like it's the kind of thing you should ponder and think about. Like unfortunately, that's what happens after that happens in real life is you wonder what happened. Why? What could we have done? Like that's – it mirrors the real life response I feel like to that sort of act. And I think that's very appropriate. And I think it is a really fitting – Like so, so just to loop back a little bit too because we talk about a lot about Bradley Cooper – you know, Lady Gaga is not an actress, and they give her some, you know, she has some weighty stuff to do in this movie. Like, she has to go out on stage and sing, which she's very good at, but play, you know, but recapture probably her, maybe the way she felt in her youth as a person going on stage for the first time getting to belt out her tunes. Like, it wasn't a stretch for her to play this character, but at the end with, you know, the suicide of suicidal level, there's a lot she has to do, and I think she does a really great job in in allowing for that as, as a relative non-actress and allowing for that ambiguity and that uncertainty that the movie sort of, uh, you know, promotes, she does a great job of rolling. It. She doesn't, she doesn't, isn't ham-fisted either. She isn't, she's not making it clear what's going on. She, she rolls with everything really well. And I think that's really impressive for someone who has no acting background at all, really to hop into in their first role and knock it out of the park so well.
1: I completely agree. I was very, very impressed with, with her as an actress. Um, I think, I walked into the movie being unsure what Bradley Cooper would be as a musician and unsure what she would be as an actress, and I think they both impressed um, beyond my, you know, wildest hopes. Uh, I think she was spectacular in a in a role that was not easy. This was not Bradley Cooper didn't ask her to just go up on stage and be Lady Gaga. Uh, he didn't say, you know, and I hate to bring this, you know, bring the bodyguard into this, but. <laughs> I don't I don't think Whitney Houston in that role was asked to be much more than Whitney Houston. Um, and that's the, the closest comparison I could think of between these two roles. And Lady Gaga was asked to be a also flawed human being, um, somebody that had dealt with um, trauma in her past as well, that's subtly laid out with her relationship with her father. As Steve pointed out, as we talked about this after the movie, where is her mother? did she leave? Did she die? Did they, was there a divorce? Um, There are lines explicitly uh, laying out that her father
0: was probably not a great father for a certain period of time. Yeah, she reinforces that one. She tells him he was, but it seems like that's the reassurance he needs in that moment, not necessarily the reality of the situation. And she herself appears to view
1: relationships in an unhealthy way. And Steve brought up the scene of the, the bagel where he Wipes the bagel across. Are you sure
0: it's face. a bagel and not a donut? You've been saying bagel, but I was thinking it's a donut. I am. Why a, were they? It seemed like it was nighttime. Why were they eating bagels? I'm a bagel truther. <laughs> this was a bagel. Okay. You insist. I'll I don't roll with listen. that. Listen any of the propaganda
1: <laughs> that's being spewed otherwise.
0: So <sighs> uh,
1: the she he wipes this pastry of unknown sure. denomination. It's bread
0: bread with dressing or
1: frosting. Yeah. on a dressing. It's frosting. But what we all would think would be the correct response, which is, fuck off, don't ever treat me like that again. She seems to, and she voices this, oh, you're jealous. And she almost takes pleasure in hearing that he is jealous. Now, we don't quite know what he's jealous of. Is it of her newfound fame, or is it of another man being res showing interest in her, maybe not in a sexual way, but in, in her talent, and up to that point, Jackson had been very comfortable feeling that he owned that talent. Mm -hmm. He brought it to the stage. He cultivated it. That is now mine. Um, Again, alluding to his own selfishness in a way. And so when she says that, that, oh, why are you so jealous? She doesn't say it in an accusatory fashion so much as a satisfaction that she has felt that he finally is showing this jealousy towards her. Yeah, like she was waiting for it all along, yeah. And it almost turns her on. And I think... That is a subtle way of showing that she has an unhealthy view of how relationships should work, likely from whatever happened between her mother and her father. And the other flaw that they make apparent throughout the film is that she is someone that needs to feel that she takes care of people. Um, And while that may seem noble at the outset, it eventually becomes enabling. Um, And so, you know, they were unafraid to make that part of her character. I think she played that side of herself with honesty and uh,
0: with a lot of uh, uh, of nuanced attention paid to it. Yeah, and I think, Andrew Dice Clay, let's get into some of the supporting actors, too, because, I mean, there are not a lot of supporting actresses in this movie, unfortunately. I've seen some criticism of the movie in that regard, and that is Lady Gaga in a very great role for a female, and then a bunch of bit women, which is a shame, but I will, for the sake of just talking about what's on screen... Even the other women are men. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, yes. That's very true. Which, but, uh, big shout-out to Bob and Barber's Thursday night drag show in Philadelphia. <laughs> like you said, Bradley Cooper's from Philadelphia. Why didn't he Why didn't he film there? I'm, unclear.
1: <laughs> Biggest nit to pick with this movie,
0: lack of Bob and Barber's drag show. <laughs> but Andrew Dice Clay, who, as I wrote my review, this is the second movie I've seen him in in the last couple of years that he outright steals the scenes he's in, the other one being Blue Jasmine. He's so great, and he has a likability to him as well where – like you said, there is clear that, you know, this is a grown, a very grown man who's being doted on by his live-in daughter. Like, that's not the most healthy scenario, like, and he seems to sort of rely on it in a certain way. And that belies some sort of, you know, complication or issue in with them. But he's great in it. Like, he, he for, for whatever his flaws may be that we are hinted at, he's clearly a caring and relatively loving father. Like, he doesn't seem abusive or, or negative and he just he seems like more maybe a little selfish himself and taking advantage of the good nature of his daughter but but supportive and caring and wants the best for her and is there when she needs him he's not exactly what she probably needed when she was growing up Maybe he's not even now not exactly what she needs but he's there and I think Andrew Desclay is really good at nailing that sort of thing like he's he's like a big friendly sort of doof you know it looks and like his buddies so and, and that serves again the, the same dual purpose we were talking about. He's sort of a little bit of comic relief. He's fun. He's there. He's charming. He's a neat old man. But then he's, if, you, if you peel back the layers of Ted, you see a sort of, you know, uh, a little bit of a detriment maybe to her, at least when she was growing up probably. And, and, or at least uh, something that led to her becoming what she is right now. So I, I, again, the attention to little character details there that allow us to flesh out the story in our own heads or after the fact is great and not something you really see in a lot of movies of this sort. Yeah, and yeah. I also,
1: I think he's he was perfect in that role. Um, and for a guy that whose comedy was so loud and bombastic, it's strange to see him being a bit more understated. Uh, but even he, you know, there is this theme of, of selfish people taking advantage of her. You know, he brings her in front of his friends to give this monologue to say she's got this beautiful voice, but you know... Sinatra had the look, and you know, my daughter is the victim of not having the look. He doesn't say that explicitly, but that is what he's essentially saying. Yep. But it's not about her. He's not saying this so his friends will feel sorry for her. He's saying it because, as we find out later, this person unknown earlier on who had a better voice than Sinatra was actually him. Yep. And so even these moments (laughs) that appear to be just the doting father on his, you know, the, the doting Italian father on his beautiful princess are actually him taking moments to make it about himself. Yeah. And that's what she grew up with. That's what she's used to. And so the behavior of Jackson is not something she's unfamiliar with. And the the ability for Jackson to continue to have her come back to him, to seek him out, to try to pick up his messes, even though she warns him that she'll never do it again, uh, kind of, Harkens back to what she probably
0: grew up with. Absolutely. And on the same topic of uh, supporting actors, you know, Sam Elliott in this movie is is really a treat. He's not in a ton, he only has a few scenes, but I think he has the, the biggest tearjerker moment that does not involve Lady Gaga when he is in the the you know, in the driveway scene when he's giving Bradley when giving Jackson a ride home from rehab. And Jackson reveals to Bobby Sam Elliott's character that he he was the one he idolized that he idolized Bobby, not his father. And another little attention to detail moment, and, and a great moment for director Bradley Cooper. And that scene it's it's an understated scene. It's a powerful scene with despite not many words being said. And you know Bradley Cooper Jackson Maine walks out of the car really quick. There he says it and he hits the road. He runs away basically. And the camera then goes to Sam Elliott pulling back, pulling out of the driveway with just. Red eye, instant red eyes, you know, super emotional, and it hangs on him for a few extra seconds, and really just shows you him reacting to this great moment, and that's beautiful. Like I just, it's it's such a, it's a little thing, and it, it feels like exactly what he should do in that moment. But I don't think that's the choice a lot of people would take. I it just, it was a very, it, it carried so much weight in just a few words, and in just a look from Sam Elliott, and I think that's. Great acting. Like I think that we, we, we get attracted to these monologues and these showy moments that look great in like Oscar montages or or YouTube clips or trailers. But the real the real power in a great performance is an hour and a half in, when you understand who this character is and why he sort of acts the way he does, and then you see him respond to this, like it's probably the first time they've ever had that level of honesty between them. Like it's just perfect. It's exactly what that moment needed. I think it really reinforces Cooper as a writer and a director really understands the power of of just moments and and looks and glances and responses like it's it, there's there's so much to that and it's respecting your audience by allowing that moment to carry the weight of itself and not try and be anything more than what it is I think it gives us I think to me I feel like I'm being respected in a way because the movie is letting me just Letting just just being what it is and letting me process it. And again, I just think, like I know I keep hearkening on this, but it's just not something that I'm used to. And especially for a first time director, it just does not feel like the sort of confident move you'd see from someone who has never done this before.
1: Well, in the whole scene, you know, this scene of him uh, telling him that he idolized him, not his father. It's a total of eight seconds, uh, and the words are sparse, and it. it struck me emotionally as quickly and as acutely as any other part in this movie. And Sam Elliott just turning his face, driving away, that was perfect. It was, it was, there were no words needed to be said. And it also was, again, I'll get back to this concept of honesty. Bradley Cooper just finished his first stint in rehab. He is just now learning how to apologize. One does not learn how to both apologize and, discuss these deep-seated issues all in one moment, all in one you know, stint in rehab. And had they made this a longer, drawn-out scene of them hashing out what clearly is decades of, of problems, I think that would have been a dishonest and easy move, uh, which he did not, did not do. He didn't go that route. Um, and after seeing it a second time and getting to know these characters a little better, I think that's exactly how that would have gone down. words, And both of them immediately trying to extricate themselves from this awkward scene, because neither of them have the language yet to talk on that level. And I was
0: just going to say, when you were talking, I was thinking, you know, now that you're saying this, maybe it's a shame that, that, you know, Jackson killed himself that is that shows progress that shows a step in the right direction but at the same time it's also clear when jackson's in rehab and Allie comes to visit she has this song from jackson that he meant as a suicide note of sorts it seems like that's the implication at least that he he wrote this and was like okay when you you'll find it when it returns to your possession he says something or something weird like that i think sort of implying that you will he didn't expect it maybe or he wasn't sure what was going to happen but he wanted her to stumble upon it at an opportune moment, perhaps. So maybe in that conversation with Bobby, with Sam Elliott's character, that was, maybe that was, and they never spoke again, I don't believe, and, or at least the movie never tells us they did. So it seems like that could have been a sort of goodbye, you know, like uh, maybe I'm not going to do this tomorrow, but I know, where my, maybe I know where my head can be or might go, and maybe this is like i got to get this out because I know that I'll never have a chance to do it again. Mm-hmm. I agree.
1: And I think Sam Elliott was used the perfect amount. Um, I think it's easy to take this big Hollywood star that um, pretty much owns any scene he's in.
0: in <laughs> big I mean, I love him. I love his big Hollywood. Star. <laughs> this big Hollywood mustache. <laughs> he's in Tombstone. So. This walking mustache <laughs> with some
1: with some acting chops. <laughs> uh, I think it would have been easy to over, overuse him, uh, but each scene he's in is useful. Uh, it's not. It's not. Um, It's not wasted. It's not just so we can admire Sam Elliott, the character or Sam Elliott, the actor or the mustache or the the mustache. (laughs) It's uh, it's they all propel the 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 story forward in some way or illustrate in subtle ways and sometimes direct ways the history of these characters. Um, So I, I was
0: I was very, very happy with how he was used in the movie and the things he did. But I will say one of the scenes that I scoffed at the first time and this time is when uh, Jackson runs into Bobby at backstage at Saturday Night Live. And Bobby sort of just implies he just, you know, I'm just just here hanging out. And I was in my head both times and said, hey, you, you just wandered into Saturday Night Live?
1: <laughs> like, Wait, think... Are you saying that Saturday Night Live doesn't have people like <laughs> Sam Elliott just just haunting the backstage?
0: <laughs> it may, I guess. That's what we're that's what led to imply by the film. Yeah, so um, I guess yeah. maybe they do. <laughs> both times it just seemed like an odd place to have that sort of conversation. I get why it happened, but both times I sort of scoffed and said, all right, I guess, I guess that's what's happening here. Um, but yeah. Sam Elliott also um, – he brings to light one of
1: Jackson's great hypocrisies. And, uh, you know, you and I have talked a lot about the dynamic between Allie and Jackson. And there is a very on-the-nose element of Jackson starting to look down on her because she's selling out. She's getting too corporate. She's getting too poppy. Uh, But the theme of it being, at some point, somebody probably felt that about him, uh, that the older generation will always look down on the the future generation is less authentic, less honest, more uh, more of a sellout than they were. But then we find out through Bobby's um, moment uh, that they have when Jackson finds out he sold the the ranch, Bobby tells us that Jackson stole his voice. And what is more contrived than stealing another's voice? Uh, So Allie can... Put on all the makeup and do the dancers and the the pop stuff that Rez is having her do, and Jackson can look down upon that. But Jackson is in the same boat. Jackson may not have sold out in the same way, but his image was not as authentic as he would like you to believe. And it kind of speaks to this culture of the singer-songwriter as the outlaw rocker uh, that we've all been sold. Uh, But even these images are manufactured. They are created. Uh, So they may be easier to digest for those of us who think we only listen to authentic music. We only listen to real, true singer-songwriters. But I I think it reminds us that we need to have the humility of knowing that, yeah, maybe our taste in music is not as authentic as we pretend it is.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a real hypocritical element to the advice Jackson gives Allie, for sure. Because sometimes he he should be giving it as... The counsel of an old singer, songwriter, rocker, performer who has had to sell out because that's sort of what it inevitably becomes part of the process. Like at some point, like you said, no one is truly independent throughout. You're beholden to someone. That's just the way it goes. But he talks as if he is authentic, as if he is that person who did not have to sell out sometimes, which is not true. Like if you had a little more self-awareness maybe, and he was saying, look, I made these mistakes or I made these choices and now here I am. And I would like to provide you this counsel as someone who has been through this and who can then guide you in a better direction. That's a whole different thing. And, and it speaks to the character we've sort of been talking about this whole time. And that though he is, you know, relatively good hearted and a relatively decent person and, you know, and, and I say means well and, and is is just is striving for something that is though he makes use of people in a lot of ways he doesn't he's not awful he's not evil he's not terrible he just has flaws like anybody else he's he's real for lack of a better word but he also doesn't seem to get in that in scenarios like that that he could provide genuine counsel and benefit to her but instead he's sort of puffing himself up while trying to ostensibly help her. I think that just speaks to his selfishness too. Like he's like, let me give you a little tip from old Jackson. But in reality, it's like, okay, man, like you are playing at the pharmacy convention. Like you're not pristine either. So maybe you know, you and that's a nice little touch as well. That again, you can see it both ways. You can see it as you know, the surface level guy trying to help someone out, or a little more insidious. And I think it's a nice touch. Right. And for a
1: man who's supposed to be the the honest tortured poet, he. He truly lacks self-awareness, yeah. Really <laughs> Especially does. like with some of the things he says. And it's interesting, um, you know. These he appears to look down on her going to SNL, but as you mentioned, is her going on SNL any more of a sellout than him taking a paid gig at an insurance company getaway?
0: Yeah, insurance. That's what I'm... <laughs> like, is, it,
1: is that truly honoring the art in some way that going on SNL is not? So you know his hypocrisy in that is is quite apparent, especially the second time around, um, and that uh, that kind of leads into what I think we both have strong opinions about, which is the dynamic between the two of them. Uh, you know, I think the most beautiful and honest, selfless moment he had was when they're on the they're on the roof, they're looking at her her poster. He is sober at this point, you know, temporarily, and he sells her you know, you have something to say, people want to hear it, they won't be listening forever, and I should know. You know, I'm paraphrasing there, but that is a moment of self-awareness for him, where he realizes, my star is falling, people are not listening to me the way they used to, and they are listening to you. And I think when he tells her, you have to reach in your soul, um, or you will have no legs, I think that is his most selfless and
0: honest moment with her. I think that's a really good point, and I think that's sort of, I just realized this as we were talking, it sort of does, it speaks to a, uh, I think, a, a purposeful, detachment that you know someone in the position of Jackson and eventually Allie would feel he's lamenting that you know people don't listen to him anymore like he sort of has that and that's true based on the information we have in the movie that he's not the rising star he's just he, he's but at the same time he's playing to what look like sold out stadiums he's rich and famous and very successful like it's not like obviously he has inner turmoil but it's not like he's washed up to that extent you know like he's still doing by all standards he's doing pretty darn well for himself so it, it, it's sort of, I think it's sort of, you know, if you review if you review it and like, or as you're, you're not a rich, famous artist, then you're like, wow, these, you know, these are, people are very removed from reality, you know? And there's a, and it doesn't mean that the term, their turmoil and torment and inner struggles aren't real and valuable and interesting. They've been the subject of countless movies, books, everything. But it does sort of remind you that like, that it's not, you know, he wasn't destitute. He wasn't, you know, down on his yeah. luck. He was doing okay, and that's, you know, that's that's not with the way he talks sometimes. You wouldn't think that that was the case. And the getting back to kind of how the
1: relationship started, it appears on the outset that the relationship starts um, with a magnanimous act by him, uh, and it was magnanimous to a certain extent. Uh, that turns into what looks like love, uh, but. He is growing her as an artist, and is happy doing so, only as far as it serves him. Once he realizes that he's no longer in control of what she is becoming, he loses the magnanimous nature of of his uh, the magnanimous nature of him being her benefactor, and him being the one that brings her to the rest of the world. Uh, Now, that being said, the first hour when they are together, it's beautiful. It looks like the most pure love one could ever hope for in life. It's something, you know, watching it, I couldn't help but be drawn in and say, God, I would love to have that high of a high with another human being. Uh, But at its core, like many unhealthy relationships, both of them were satiating an insecurity within themselves in that relationship. Does that mean it is devoid of love? Of course not. Does that, does that mean we were not beautiful and honest and true parts of that love? Of course not. Um, but it does, again, speak to the courage, I think, of the director to make it an imperfect love um, between two imperfect people, uh,
0: despite
1: this high of highs in that first hour. And not
0: to hang a sign up that says, this is an imperfect love between two right. imperfect people.
1: And I, I'll, you know, my, the last thing I want to I mention uh, before we wrap up is how truly impressed I am, both with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. But um, I will say on Bradley Cooper's part, it is difficult to write a song. It is difficult to play music live. It is difficult to act. It is difficult to direct. Those things are exceedingly difficult to do at the level he did them on their own, each individual skill on its own. And the same could be said for Lady Gaga. It is difficult to play the piano and belt out a song in front of thousands of people, and it's difficult to try to act while you do it. Yeah, remind yourself, you're not Lady Gaga here, you're right. Ali. Um, and they both, they both took these different forms of art um, individually that would have been exceedingly difficult to, to do well enough to be impressive and to evoke emotion and thought, and they did multiple forms of it all in this movie. And whether you like it as a movie, whether you think, um, you know, you turn your nose up at it, I think it's impossible not to recognize the degree of difficulty that Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga both accepted when they decided to do this film together. Um, so I, I have walked away from this a much bigger fan of both of them um, as artists, for sure.
0: Absolutely. It's it's the kind of behind-the-scenes sort of narrative that wins Best Picture awards, too. Like, I'd be very surprised. Obviously, I haven't seen all the movies that have come out this year. We don't know what the next couple of months hold. We don't know how the the narrative is going to shift in that regard, but this feels like the kind of movie that's going to win a bunch of awards because it because it deserves them, but also because people say, "Well, man, look at all the work that went into it. Look how they balance all of these things." And I think that's probably true. But it does, you know, I think that will take on a life of its own at a certain point and become a very self-serving thing that that, that ends up making everybody very happy. And the one the one negative I have to
1: say about Bradley Cooper, um, too is- handsome. Well, there's one thing that he really screwed himself in this movie is that now that I've seen him with long hair and a beard, (laughs) seeing him with short hair and no beard, he is levels like orders of magnitude less handsome (laughs) without the hair and the beard now. So sorry, Bradley, if you're listening to this, which I'm sure you will be, (laughs) just know that there's a man living in Pasadena who's very disappointed in you every time he sees you without your long hair and a beard. Just wanted to look like that forever. I mean, it's like
0: after seeing Eric Bana and Troy, when you see Eric Bana with short hair, it's it's unbelievable. I think you're the only you're one of the few people who still care about Eric Bana and Troy, or otherwise, unfortunately. Forever, Eric and Troy. <laughs> if he makes a good movie, we'll bring you on to talk about it. I'm okay with that. He hasn't <laughs> so, made a good movie in a while. I mean, Brad Pitt's one of the few people who can be
1: just hopelessly handsome and beautiful in various different roles, yeah. various different haircuts. That's right. We can do a whole
0: podcast on how hot Brad Pitt is. That
1: would
0: be really good. That might be where we go next. Especially if Andrew keeps having kids, That I'm going to have to come up with new topics to talk to you about. So we'll do Brad Pitt's hair for sure. I'm a wealth of knowledge on handsome actors and what makes them the most handsome. <laughs> well, that does it for our A Star is Born talk. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on. You can find our archives on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, everywhere podcasts are. Look for In Real Deep Podcasts. You'll find us there. All of our podcasts are also available at InRealDeep.com. Go there, stream them, read our reviews. Stars Born Review is up. Venom Review is up. Venom Podcast is up. A lot of good stuff out there. Tons of movies. We're entering awards season, so there's going to be plenty, plenty more to come. So, again, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Steve. And remember, folks, friendship always wins (laughs) (laughs) that could be our new tagline but i'm gonna do mine as well we'll be seeing (laughs) you further on up the road friendship always wins (laughs) (laughs) Obvious?